Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cube, the Cube, the Cube, the Cube, the Cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 66 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we have an amazing tool for our Sigmar listeners today, don't we? Sure. I wrote a a checklist of things that you should be looking to do, ideas to keep in your mind, behaviors to take upon yourself to improve your competitive Warhammer game. We're going to go through that, and I've hopefully organized it into a cohesive thought as opposed to just mindless nonsense. Uh, (laughs) Okay. And listeners, we are going to attempt to put a link in the show notes, in the timestamp area where we usually do, to Brendan's document. So that if you want to reference it and not write a bazillion notes while you're listening, you can go ahead and pull that document up when we post. Mm -hmm. And then we have a couple of other things. Yes, we've got some very brief comments on the 40k fact that just came out and then a little bit more in depth with the death guard Mm -hmm. that just came out not a whole lot of stuff i mean there are plenty of places you can get a bazillion pieces of information we're just going to cover it briefly and try to hit some highlights yeah some interesting things some stuff that's new that's worth you know keeping an eye on yeah uh, if you are 40k interested Yeah, there we go. So that's it for today. I think you're going to have a really good resource at the end of this show. And on to Whispers. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Well, Brendan, it is, as always, time to talk about that hobby foolishness. Yeah. And you've been painting like a fool. I got a start collecting Slaves to Darkness box to start working on the color scheme because I really just want to paint Varengard and Archeon. <laughs> so working on the color scheme for those. I finished my Chaos Warriors. And they look great. They look really fine. Thank you. It's mostly contrast work. So uh, there was a couple yeah. of things I tried to do with contrast that I hadn't done before, you know, using contrast over metallics okay. first and foremost. And then with like the red cloak and things like that on them, I wanted to try and use them for like that thinned version of it where you can do blending Mm -hmm. uh, of sorts. Yeah. Eh, It's going okay. It's not the best thing I've done. I'm figuring it out and working on it, so it's getting better. I've been building some Caradron Overlord start collecting box because (laughs) Alex Gonzalez is doing a kind of informal, like, painting hobby challenge thing. Oh, cool. You know, for anybody who was interested in doing it. So we're going to start February 1st, and I'm going to paint the start collecting box and that's going to be one of the things where i'm going to try to paint some different colors and and do some different stuff with that cool and then just some building models here and there and mm. nothing too wild you know i've just got like a bunch of disparate things <laughs> oh, i'm working that's... on i threw some paint on some skeletons last night because i could. had some and just went mm, okay <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Uh, just good stuff there's a pile of bones over there let's yeah. work on it i was like yeah. I, here's 10 prime skeletons i'll this is this will be easy i'll just start doing some colors there and get that done cool uh but what about you dan what have you been working on really most of my hobby i've been i started putting the i finally got my gladiator uh, in the house mm-hmm. finally came in and i started putting that together it's basically an impulsor with a turret 
is what it ends up being. Sure. I've just started putting that together, assembly, so I've done nothing other than that. But my big project, of course, I mentioned last time, is my antler project mm-hmm. for one of my boys. I'm halfway through the construction phase. He saw right, just you got showed the, you. Show me the first one. Yep. So that one's done in terms of putting all the pieces together and prepping the surface and everything else. So now it's a matter of priming and then I'm going to do quite a bit of dry brushing and then the wash goes on last mm-hmm. to try to make it look pretty good. And I tried like five or six different colors of washes, brown washes, to see what would look okay. You're almost like staining it at this yeah. point. What I have to do based on the original photograph is the bottom of the antler is pretty dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of dark spaces and the ends are quite light. They're almost white. A really light ivory color. So I have to transition between those. And the best way to do that is dry brushing. I've got to work on that. And I'm not sure if I want to get the construction done on the other antler first or if I want to paint the one first. I'm not I'm kind of making that decision. But that's really been most of my hobby time mm-hmm. has been doing that. So otherwise, nothing in terms of miniatures. All right. Hobby move- time is hobby time. Yes, it is. Whatever we're doing. Moving on then, we have February. We know Heat Nights are still coming out. So we're we're looking forward to that, whenever that is. And speaking of releases, we talked a little bit, listeners, last time about that staggered release schedule and trying to figure out what it was going to actually mean. And it seems, Brendan, what it looks like is, in fact, they're going to have a pre-order. That pre-order is going to come out. And then the week after that, two weeks later, you're going to get another pre-order. So because we got the pre-order last weekend was... Death Guard. Mm -hmm. We got the drop yesterday. And then there's word next week, which will be the... 30th that we're going to get another pre-order so it does look like that's kind of how it's going to look okay and so obviously that's going to affect our heed nights book reception if you look at the weeks and everything else in the month there it would be another pre-order on the 14th Uh, and that would probably be heed Heed nights Nights, we would hope and then we would release on the 21st because coming up is Dark Angels, right? Mm-hmm. I think we got that's Dark the, Angels or Drakari. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which first, but yeah, I think it might be Dark Maybe Angels. Maybe both. Yeah. Or Heat Nights is going to be the 28th, and that's still technically February. Yes. <laughs> A little late, but it's okay. February is February. Yeah. So that it looks like it's going to be every other week for pre-orders, which is fine. Sure. Yeah. Now, somebody might argue, well, you know, there was some Lord of the Rings stuff. Well, we're talking in terms of major 40K or Age of Sigmar stuff. Mm -hmm. We're talking about that every other week. So I'm sure they're going to slip other little things in like that and other specialist type games. Made to order. Yeah. That fun fun stoof. Very exciting. I saw some more stuff about the February Screaming Wallet Month for me. Okay. (laughs) Because there's going to be so many books coming out. But it looks like Graham McNeil has written a new Uriel Ventress novel. And I'm so freaking excited about that. That is awesome. (laughs) That's like getting another Gaunt's Ghost book or something like that. So that's very, very cool. And he is now all, he has crossed the Rubicon. So he is now even on the cover art, he is Primarist, which is very cool. And we know that he's been in the lore for the Indominus era now. He's been in the books. Mm -hmm. He's been talking to to Gilliman actually in the story. So that's very, very exciting. And then let's talk about the Elephantus in the room, which was the preview yesterday. Sure. Overall impressions and thoughts? Pretty mixed. Obviously, I don't care about the 40K half of the the previews. (laughs) Right. So, you know, like seeing the war suits, I went, cool. Like seeing the kill team box, I was like, cool. (laughs) It's a good box. I like it. It's a nice box. Yeah. The Adeptus Titanicus Warmaster Battle Titan, I go, cool. (laughs) Same thing. Right. You know, I'm just just (laughs) like, all right, you know, whatever. This has 
no bearing on my interest right now. But, you know, good for the folks who are super jazzed about it. Sure. Uh, But then you get into the AOS side of things. The, The vampire in the room is that we thought, perchance, we were going to get some follow-up on the soul blight leak right. that came out earlier in the week yeah we did not but yes. we did get the dire chasm vampire warband which is amazing so freaking cool right yes and that was you know something that we knew on their timeline that was going to be march or april or yeah the silhouette we just talked mm. their silhouette was actually on the graphic and then that one the female vampire popped fits in. right in there yeah they popped it in there and they gave the silhouette of what the next one is going to be but they also said that the release is going to was actually pushed back due to external circumstances sure. so we understand yeah. we're not going to get it in march but we got the preview of that warband and dan so cool <laughs> they were so cool <laughs> oh so, man like, that is such a impossibly high bar that mm. the rest of the army is going to have to clear. Mm-hmm. We know we're getting Soulblight Grave Lords. We saw a preview of a model that we mm-hmm. you know that was leaked via the internet. Of course, and Games Workshop, you know, put out a community article that's like, "Here's a better picture of it." <laughs> and we're not co- come to our website. Yeah. Look at us. We're and not then, intimidated. Yeah, right. And then you know you get the preview of that warband. Which was so amazing. All four models are gorgeous. And they're aesthetically built off of like previous models that Games Workshop had made in mm-hmm. the Vampire Counts line. And just the army Soulblight Gravelords is going to... Like everything that has to be... This is the standard you've put in front of everybody. <laughs> It better be darn good. Do you know how pissed everyone's going to be if those are the four best models in the line? <laughs> and it's just a war band in the warband in the battle tome, right? Right. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, you know, in a lot of cases, the warbands that, you know, are part of other armies are brilliant models. They're mm-hmm. excellent. They're oh, really cool. they usually are. And, you know, my complaint in a lot of cases is, like, make them better. I want to use them. Other than mm-hmm. as, like, unit champions, like the Flesh Eater Courts one. Yeah. I use all the little ghouls as ghoul unit champions because the warband is garbage. (laughs) Uh, In any case, that was super awesome and amazing and excellent. And I'm very hopeful for what the vampire preview is going to actually be. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hoping that we're going to see that in what would have been the Adepticon you know, time slot. Right. Because we historically see a whole army release in like the April, May time frame to close Mm -hmm. out their fiscal year. Sure. Good way to get money is to give you things that you want to buy a lot of. So it might be in that window, which would be really cool. Yeah. So as far as the Underworld's Warband, cool, push that to the side. We found out what our next Broken Realm was. I know I was quite surprised at what it was. How did you feel about the next Broken Realm being techless? I'm very ambivalent about techless the model mm-hmm. and how he functions in it. I've seen a lot of Lumineth lists that don't have Techless in it. So that was, I think I had that experience. So when I saw he was the next guy, I'm like, okay, well, oh, all right, good, okay. Mm-hmm. It, just, all right, it's good. You know, kind of like you felt about the 40K stuff. Like, and that, that's cool. I'm sure there'll be some great lore. There'll be some great models coming out. Of, we, we know that it's the air axe aspect yes. of the Lumineth. Okay, they spelled it H-U-R-A-K-A-N, but it's Hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say it. It's Broken Realms 2. Sure. Nice. Let, let's move forward. This story is Teclis is going to take the war to the doorstep of the Realm of Death. Yes, Nagash is going to get his face kicked in. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> 
How dare you? Now, one of the things about this too, though, is I think, you know, Marathi's a god now. She yes. has made the transition. Everybody pretty much considers Teclas a god. Uh, he is. Yeah, yeah, you know, so he he's a god. So it's interesting, I think, and I'm this is setting it for me that whoever is on the cover of these books is going to be considered a god. In terms of the story and the lore and everything, mm -hmm. yeah, he is. So whoever else it is, is going to be a god. Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting to see who they throw into the covers and make that, True. you know. So overall, it's okay. Yeah. It's good stuff. So the model was cool. The whatever flying thing that was, the flying archer thing, that's cool. Yeah, so and that is likely the named version of where you have the Spirit of the Mountain. Yes. And then you have Avalonor. Yes. That is likely the named Spirit of the Wind. And, you know, you'll have some other sort of like fox antelope, you know, <laughs> archer thing. Right. But the shadows mm -hmm. that we had in there, the sword masters, mm -hmm. the ballista, you know, bolt thrower thing, mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. There's, it looked like there was two or three new heroes in there. Looks Obviously, good. you have your your battle kangaroos. Yes, that's a. <laughs> this is a full, like another aspect mm -hmm. of the force, and that's really neat. It is that it's unique. That's what I like about it. It is very much so. I don't think you're going to get a new Lumineth book. I think that all these War Scrolls are going to mm -hmm. be in Broken Realms Teclas. Sure. Because they listed out some of the things that are going to be in there. You're going to see new cities rules in Broken Realm Teclas. I think it's going to be a Realm of Death City. Hmm. Neat. And, okay. you know, because there's people that, that live there. My hope for that is that it's going to be the Cities of Sigmar book. And, like, one in four units can be zombies or skeletons or just kind of those lower level... Minions. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Sure. Or, like, chain rafts and... Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, low-level battle line stuff is you can put into the army. That'd okay. be cool. That'd be neat. There's Nurgle War Scrolls in there. Mm -hmm. There's Bone Reapers. So I think a lot of these are just going to be battalions sure. uh, in a lot of cases. Yeah. But, you know, there's some cool, exciting things that are going to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. We'll see where the story goes and, and how that takes us and sets up the next thing. But, man, I want to see Broken Realms Gordrak. Give me that. <laughs> sure. We may get there. Who knows? At yeah. some point, unify all of the destruction forces in like one mega super wah and let me run that army. Mm -hmm. Like, let me run yeah. goblins and giants and orcs and iron jaws and ogres and sure. just like, let yeah. me run just the weirdest mixed destruction, yes. you know, army and like give it rules. Let, me, let me do that. Sure. Please. That would be yeah. really cool. Fun. The great stuff. That's the Teclas book. Mm hmm. And we got a daughter's battle tone. We do. A new one, yeah. Yeah. And it was, I love the endless spells. They look beautiful. At first I was like, well, why are they endless spells? Why aren't they prayers? Because you have a lot of people who do prayers in Marathi. But then I thought, well, no, actually you have a lot of people who do spells. So yeah, it makes also, sense. Yes. Right. It makes sense. And she's not a anti-magic thing like corn is, for example, that has prayers and those things. So good. I'm glad. How many times had I talked about the daughters getting endless spells and how I hate it when they're battle tomes that don't have endless spells. And I think it's great that they're retroing that and bringing it in and giving them. Yeah, it's tool. the next round of updates. It's, it's a tool. And that's great. I don't know that there are going to be a whole lot of other major changes other than incorporating what was in the Broken Realms book, really. I, I think that's I mean, going to be the, the biggest portion of it, right? There's going to be some things that you need to streamline from when the book was written originally. Mm. You know, like the concept of within versus holy within. Sure. A lot of stuff has that moved to that sense. holy within bubble. That makes sense. I could see them rewriting some of the temples. Hmm. Doing them just a little bit differently. When they've added a temple, right? Mm -hmm. With right, so obviously Marathi. that's going to get rolled in. You know, all mm -hmm. all the new stuff that we saw in Broken Realms Marathi is going to get 
poured it in right on top. And then they're going to have some rewrites. You know, you're probably going to get some new slash different artifacts. You're probably going to see some rewrites on the spells and the prayers. It'll be familiar, mm-hmm. but I think it will be ultimately different. Unique. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, since that's one of the battle tombs I'm very familiar with, I'm anxious to see the changes. And then the last thing, I think it's the I'm last so thing I'm so excited for this one. Which one? The Warhammer Quest? The Olfen Cairn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that looks so cool. So I'm, I'm so excited We kind of have one. our next Warhammer Quest. It's called Curse City. Of course... I'm excited because Toby Longworth was the narrator on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pick him out right away. Need we say, the models were fabulous. This witch hunter. And we only saw two models. That's it. Yeah. Like, Imagine what this is going to be like, this whole thing. If they can, I want to spend like a crazy amount of time talking about this. Okay. Because, for example, for me, the witch hunter... Matthias Thulman. And anybody who knows the lore, he had a huge anthology, you know, what do you call it? A trilogy of stories about him. And this was Thulman. I mean, I'm going to name the guy Thulman if I ever get the model, right? The Gravekeeper. Awesome. If they can do with this cursed city what they did with Blackstone. Okay. So. Oh, it will be fabulous. So I know someone who knows a little bit more than the rest of us. Okay. For the rest of you, Warhammer Quest is this side game that Games Workshop came out. It was originally Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. That was the first one, yeah. And Silver Tower was okay. Yeah. Uh, it definitely had a lot of its own shortcomings. It had some flaws. And it was a really hard game to play. Because like all, like all a lot of the rooms were just totally remotely generated. And like a couple bad rolls on the rooms and encounters. Like that was it. That was the game. And some people super loved that, and they thought it was great, and it was just the most funnest thing in the world, and terrific and awesome. Cool. You got some unique models with it, which also kind of drove the purchase of it a little bit. That's where Brimstone Horrors were originally introduced, and, yes. um, and the Grot Scuttlings, which ultimately got canned. Yeah. But there was a lot of unique heroes that were mm-hmm. involved in that. I want to say the Ogroid Thaumaturge. He was that in... Was, I remember him when I saw him in the book. Mm-hmm. It was in the battle tone. It was like, oh yeah, he's from Silver Tower. Right. Yeah. That was one of the things that really made Warhammer Quest Silver Tower, something people wanted to purchase, was all of the cool, unique models that you got with it. Mm-hmm. And some of them had good rules in Warhammer. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Warhammer Quest 2, Hammer Hall, garbage. Yeah. Just terrible. It was supposed to be, you know, you could also do it as like the co op where you played the game, you know, by yourself, but they mm-hmm. also like encourage you to have a, a GM, a game master. And I don't know. Like, a lot of us play RPGs, you know, most popular mm-hmm. D&D. I don't know why you would want to play Warhammer D&D that was not Warhammer and also not D&D. Right. And also it, not, like... It was neither. I agree. I agree. It was garbage. Yes. And then we had Blackstone Fortress. And that's... And look at... Let's talk about what we, <laughs> what we hope for with Curse City. When you had Blackstone Fortress, you had, you know, the same kind of things. You had wonderful models, amazing story, great game mechanics, and they were different mm-hmm. than Silver Tower or Hammerhall. But it was easy to learn. It was very repeatable. You know, you could do it, and it was always unique. Man, Blackstone has a huge legacy piece to it, where you go back in, you've, get, you've gotten things, you go out, you kind of, you know, repair and replace and put things in, go back in. And then the expansions were just excellent. And they were 
li- they weren't really linear, but they were. I mean, it, mm-hmm. they were addition. You could choose to play with those expansions if you wanted. Sure. But if you didn't want to, that was cool too. And every time an expansion came out, you got another amazing collection of models. Mm-hmm. You got the Chaos Commissar and you got the Chaos Ogren and those models just Chaos amazing. Guardsmen yeah. and you got the just, the Ambles and you got the Zote and just, you got the drones. And- it was so well done. To that point, <laughs> yes. also the, the main box, the thing that it had, it had a lot of unique, a lot of unique models. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have been told that Games Workshop learned from the success of Blackstone Fortress. Oh, that would be so cool. Warhammer Quest, The Cursed City, Wolfencairn. They have taken those lessons and brought them into that is the AOS Such setting. welcome news. That and is wonderful. I am so excited for that because, you know, ultimately, I'm probably going to end up purchasing all the models because death <laughs> and doing that. But if there's also a game that I can play, you know, associated with it... Mm-hmm cool because like i've heard troy and you mm-hmm. talk about how much you enjoyed blackstone fortress mm-hmm. the little we played it we loved it yeah it sounds like yeah. a, it sounds like a fun game yeah so i'm hoping that this can also be a, a, a bit of the same that's great we know that there's going to be six heroes and they're going to preview that over the next little bit and then there's five villains that you know they're telling us about Yep. That's going to be cool. And people have been kind of piecing together some of the rumor engines from some of the visuals in the video. Yeah, sure. Which is all artwork. And they've picked out just, you know, a handful of things that you know, can reasonably be expected. One, the villains, and two, the minions mm-hmm. that are going to be seen. And that's exciting. Like, this is such a cool release. I don't know when we're going to get it. Oh. It could be November, right? Be. You know, it could be ages from now. Merry Christmas. It'd be like, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. I know what I want for Christmas. It, it looks cool. And what I think that they'll do then ultimately with this is, you know, keep building on those successes. Try the different mm-hmm. things in the different settings and feedback into each other. Mm-hmm. But you're going to see a new Warhammer quest every year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. With those expansions and the kind of limited run to it, and then the next one is always going to be the opposite, you know, setting. So, so forty on the forty k side, we're going to go to somewhere other than the Blackstone Fortress. We may go to a mechanic and way station, or we may go to a planet, or yeah, yeah. And then you come back, and it could be something totally different in the mortal realms. Gives time for people to think creatively yeah. about how to approach that, as opposed to it being just kind of this infinity grind mm-hmm. of a specific thing. And you know, there are people who love Warhammer Quest and are super mm-hmm. into Warhammer Quest. They probably think I'm an idiot for thinking Hammer Hall is bad. It's bad for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> But ultimately, this was you know, what I was hoping was going to be the Soul Blight announcement and release and all that. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting replacement in that expectation. This made me, when I saw the model too, the Witch Hunter model, it totally made me forget that I was disappointed that there was no Soul Blight. I, I didn't care anymore. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go get that Vampire Warband and paint it, even if I don't play Dire Chasm, sure. which I probably will. Cool. I got my Vampire fixed for now. But this is like, yes. <laughs> That's so awesome. So I think we're both we're in agreement on this. That was really exciting stuff. Yeah. And hopefully it is basically just the Blackstone Fortress game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, modifications made to yeah. the setting. Uh, but that quality game 
into AOS. Rules, mechanics, similar things. That's great. Yeah. And you spoke of the boards a little bit. You know, that was one of the cool things about Blackstone was the way the board worked and the way it pieced together was very different than Silver Tower, just the basic mechanics. The other thing that was interesting was how many people, Troy, put together printed 3D board pieces for it because it was amenable to that. Mm-hmm. And it was much easier than it would have been to do something like that for Silver Tower. This is good, good stuff. Yeah. Very exciting. Here's to hoping. Yeah. Here's to hoping. Let's go to our short but important Games Played segment here. Yeah. Cyberpunk? I finished it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did I not talk about that in the last no, episode? No, you didn't. You okay. Didn't. So I must have done it I don't think you between. finished it. I don't okay. think you had. So I finished Cyberpunk. Okay. It's done. I got what is considered the good ending, so good. I'm happy about that. But ultimately, I don't know. I feel kind of lukewarm on the finish of the game. Okay. I won't spoil it, but right. my second playthrough is going to come after the DLC is out. There's really nothing I'm super interested in finding. You know, like there are all sorts of hidden things in there sure. that, like, if you go and explore, okay, cool. I don't know. Like, there wasn't enough things that pulled me in so much and so deep that I'm compelled right now to jump (laughs) right back into the setting. Okay. Yeah, I want to play as a different character next time. You know, the intelligence build is bonkers and stupid. I'll do, you know, maybe run and gun or Mm. technical or close combat or something like that. Something different. But the stealth int build is crazy dumb and stupid and amazing. Okay. So. (laughs) Good. Yeah. But other than that, I haven't really done anything. I've been meaning to fire up and play either Phoenix Immortal Risings or Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I want to know when you play that. I want to hear about that. I've been really interested to see some of the videos on it. Yeah, it looked like an interesting game. You know, it's definitely built off of a known kind of winning formula of sorts. Sure. So, you know, we'll we'll give it a go and... And do that, but yeah, cool. That's what I've been up to. What about you, Dan? I really, Skyrim, Civ, Civ, Beyond Earth, Rising Tide. That's what I've been playing, mm-hmm. and just doing different combinations and changing the variables, the planet sizes, and the biomes, and all those kind of things. The opponents. I keep the difficulty right below the hardest level. I've won one game at the hardest level ever. It's the Apollo level, and they name all the levels based on. You know, the different spacecraft. space mission, yeah. yeah. I won one Apollo. I got my little recognition thing, you know, that they do. And that was it. So everything else is right there. But having a great time with it. It's just the music, it, just the whole concept is so well done and so cool that I'm going to keep playing it. And one of these days, I got to show you the tech tree for it because as an engineer, you would just love the tech tree. Nice. It is amazing. So yeah, I think that's it for games played. And now on to Emperor... Lies. Woo. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So it's Emperor Lies time, and we're going to start out with a very brief overview of the 40K fact. Just some highlights that I pulled out. The very first thing that I thought was great was the points for units are now universally ninth edition format. And what that basically means is in the past, if you wanted to kit out a intercessor squad, you had to go back and individually, you had to go to one page to figure out how much the guns were and how much this melter was and how much this thing was and how much is this power axe and blah, 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 blah. And you had to go to like five different pages and places to figure out how to point out one squad. Well, now in ninth edition, what they've done is they tell you what the unit is 
intercessors. And they give you all the options for points right there in the points list. So you can just point out your unit right away. Sisters of Battle, you know, Celestians, here it is. Here's all the options. Here's how much the points are right there all together. So that's really a neat change that they did that. Another change that, these are two small changes, and then we're gonna talk about the first turn, last turn change, which is pretty big. Strategic reserves deploy normally in their own deployment zone, which is interesting because of things like my infiltrators, Mm -hmm. which provided a 12-inch bubble around them. If my infiltrators are in your deployment zone, you can still drop in within nine inches of them. Okay. Yeah. That's a good change. I think that's fair. I I don't have a problem with that. It just means I have to deploy them differently and use them a little differently. The other one, which was so glaring, and I was surprised they hadn't done this earlier, but what could happen with an apothecary? You had those ATV, you know, those Mario Kart things that had eight wounds. An apothecary could use a stratagem to bring a whole model back. Oh, no. Oh, it was just, it was bad. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. So they got rid of that. Oh, good. <laughs> what, a, it was, what a hideous oversight. No, Everybody was going, well, it took you long enough. So anyway, they got rid of that, oh, no. which was very glaring. Then the last thing in the fact I want to talk about is the first turn, last turn change. Obviously, Sigmar listeners, Sigmar works very differently in terms of turn order, who goes first or second. You, uh, your number of drops pretty much determines your choice of going first or second. And then every turn after that, you roll off and that you still, whoever wins gets to choose whether they want to go first or second. Sure. So you always have a choice if you win the roll off, basically. In 40K, what happens now, first turn, you roll off and you must go first if you win the roll off, which I think is an interesting change because what it does is it leaves you with a big giant question mark. Am I going to go first or not? And it forces you to deploy differently. You don't get a choice anymore. And so you may not be as aggressive because you don't know if you're going first or not. True. Interesting change. Now, in the last turn, the fifth turn, because we don't have extra turns anymore, thank goodness, in 40K, everybody, you know, in fifth turn, somebody goes first, somebody goes second. The person who went first in the first turn goes first in the last turn. But the problem with that was is that scoring points is usually done in the command phase, which is the beginning of your turn. The hero phase for the hero, Sigmar players. Yeah, hero phase. So now... In 40K... I'm here to translate for the rest of you. (laughs) Awesome. That person who went second in the last turn had no opportunity to get any points during their turn. Whatever they had at the beginning of their turn, that was it. True. Unlike Sigmar, where if you go second in the last turn, you still have the opportunity to get some victory points, depending on what you do and how the rolls, you know, how the game plays. But you have a chance to get come back and win the game still. If you're behind at the end of the first player's turn, you're done. Yeah, You have no opportunity. So what this does is it makes it a full five-turn game instead of a four-turn game Mm. or four-and-a-half-turn game, which is great. I think that's a really neat change. Yeah, I like that because you're already, in many cases, going to be at a disadvantage playing in the second half of a turn Mm -hmm. in 40K already because a lot of, you know, a valid strategy in 40K is the concept of the alpha, no different than (laughs) Age of Sigmar has similar ideas, a little bit less so, you know, because it's combat oriented primarily. And there's the stratagem that, you know, you can kind of hunker down. Right. But you're still playing down effectively. You're still playing Mm -hmm. on the back foot and to not have another turn of scoring, man, yeah, your roll off to start the game better be 
super good. (laughs) (laughs) Or you better get way ahead. Sure. One or the other. Those are the main things I saw. There are many, many other things that people will bring up, but those were the things most important, at least from my perspective. So we're going to move on to talk about the Death Guard a little bit. Now, this is really fun. There's some just great stuff. The changes have really, I think, moved where the Death Guard are and really make it a more interesting army, I think. Gives you a lot of other options. One of the most important things I thought was interesting was there's no more summoning. You don't basically have demons Hmm. in a Nurgle army, which, you know, no plague bearers and none of that kind of stuff. So, like, you you can't summon them, but, like, mm -mm. you can't include them at all. No, they're done. Interesting. So a non-demon army, basically, other than if you have demon engines or something like that. A couple of the main things is you have something called plague companies now, which I guess you consider as battalions. But what it does is each plague company, and there are seven. Well, that's a big surprise with Nurgle. There's seven (laughs) of them. And each one that you choose for a detachment, you can choose it by detachment. Each one gives a trait. It gives a relic and it gives a specific specialized stratagem no different than how a lot of stuff works right right very nice for example here's a what you would have for the harbingers and typhus is your main character you take typhus with that you have a stratagem that for one cp allows poxwalkers to reroll hits that's pretty good but here's the thing you're going that's kind of nice dan but so what well there is a stratagem called mutant strain Mm mm-hmm and any sixes that Pox Walkers roll are mortal wounds. If they roll a one, they take a mortal wound. Okay. But remember, they're re-rolling all their hits. So if they roll those ones, they can re-roll them. So their chances of rolling two ones is much lower. But now, if you don't roll those sixes, you get a whole other chance to roll a potload of sixes. And remembering that base Pox Walkers are two attacks. You got 20 of those suckers. You got 40 dice you're rolling Again. True. So the chances of those guys putting out with a couple of CPs, some really heavy mortal wounds, that's really cool for just a junk unit like that. Remembering that now Poxwalkers have a six-up save because they got rid of Disgustingly Resilient, but they still have a six-up Feel No Pain. They had their Toughness 4 now. They auto-pass morale. All those things change with them. Pretty nice. But that's just an example of the things you can do with plague companies. And there are other ones. There's one where it really buffs up demon engines. So if you have mauler fiends and things like that, very cool. One of the things they changed was there's a limit to horde armies now built in. And it's that you can't have more pox walkers or cultists than you do plague marines and termies, basically. Is that units or models? Units. Okay. Yeah, units. So yeah. Uh, And these are like called bubonic marines, I think it's called. And that's basically plague marines and termies is what it is. So you want to take five units of pox walkers. Well, you got to take at least five units of plague marines or plague terminators. So interesting. I mean, you can kind of have a horde army, but not really. One of the other changes that's very interesting is something called Infernal Jealousy. And this is an organizational thing where you can only have one Lord of Decay per detachment. So you can't, like, in a Space Marine army, a lot of times you could put two or three captains or two or three lieutenants. Mm -hmm. You can't do that here. You can only put, like, one Lord of Decay or one Lord of Contagion or one Lord of Virulence, whatever it is, in that detachment. But to balance that out, it was interesting. You can take three 
elite support characters per elite slot. You have three elite slots. You could take nine of them if you had them. Sure. You know, your banner bearers and right. like your pseudo reverse right. apothecaries yeah. and all those kinds of characters. So that's an interesting change organizationally. Was that a change that was made because in the previous book, like Lords of Decay were being mm. abused? Or no. is this just a. It is a narrative driven okay. change, which I think is cool. I think it's great they're doing that. The contagions, remember we talked about that last time, that minus one to toughness within a growing aura. That is for everybody in the Death Guard army, Brenton. And we were like, no, it can't be. It is. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's craziness. Now, you know, they they got a new terrain piece called the Malignifier, right? Yeah. Its bubble for that is always nine inches. It normally starts at, it's I think it's one, three, six, and nine mm-hmm. by turn four. It's always nine inches around that terrain piece. So it's an 18-inch bubble. Mortarian, always nine inches. So there's another 18-inch bubble for this. Just crazy. And oh, my there, God. There are other contagions, and there's pathogens and all kinds of things you can do. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's neat. And those are all part of this contagions bubble as well that affect things out from them. And remember, we don't do wholly within. So all Death Guard units... Mm-hmm. It's minus one toughness, and then they get these other... Other things. It's additive. Oh, my God. Oh, it's terrible. Damn. It's crazy. You can make it so that people are minus one to hit. You can make a minus one to wound. You I, can make... Okay. Uh, Is this army crazy expensive points-wise? No, not really. Like a Plague Marine, for example, is only 21 points. It's not so bad. It's like, what am I missing? Nothing. They're just really good. They're going to okay. be very good. Fun. I'm so excited that my buddy is getting back into 40K. <laughs> yes. Strategy. Terrific. I want to talk about two. We already talked about the mutant strain where the sixes are mortal wounds mm-hmm. for poxwalkers. Pretty powerful if you have enough. Of oh, them. you told me about this other one the other now, day. This, this one's one great. I love it. It's called Haze of Corruption, terrible. which Dan is calling Sigmar's Rot. Because, <laughs> Sigmar players, we know that excess damage is not lost in Sigmar. All the damage rolls over to however many models get killed. In 40k, that doesn't work that way. So, for example, if I have three... For example, And this is always in fight. So this is always in melee. I did clarify that. Yeah. It's two CPs, but let's say I have some... You know, Plague Marine Terminators, you know, those guys. And they each have a D6 damage weapon. They run into a squad of intercessors. Okay. And they all swing. And they all hit and they all wound. And each one of them rolls a four out of D6. So that's 12 damage. But remember, that's only three attacks in 40k. So you can only kill three of those guys. Sure. All right. Now, with this Haze of Corruption stratagem, the excess damage is not lost. So now... That's 12 damage that you have to distribute across that intercessor squad. They are gone. That's a huge thing. So <laughs> It's huge. The hamster is running around in the wheel for me. Yes, of course. You pair that with Mortarian's Mega Super Harvester Blade. <laughs> Whoa! Jeez. Right? It's like, like, Isn't the damage cap on that like 40? Yeah, it's something like that. It's insane. You kill anything. Oh, my God. It's cool. It can kill that's, a freaking knight. It can kill a knight. You can kill a knight. Well, it could it could always kill a knight. Right. right. But I mean, just like well, once you swipe, could, you could kill a 30 rack of orcs. Oh yeah. Done. Just done. Yes. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really cool. So that's neat. Yeah. I hope this all goes all right <laughs> for everybody because again, I'm not super fluent in all this. Yes. This seems Bonkers. It does, doesn't um, it? Yeah. I'm not reading like where the downside is in all this. Yeah. You know, because like as we go through Age of Sigmar stuff, mm-hmm. 
I have the understanding to be like, okay, yes, this is very good, mm-hmm. but this unit costs a ton in relationship to you know X Y Z whatever. So like, while it is good, the weakness remains here. So like, what like what is the downside that like that is going to keep the maximum nonsense of this mm-hmm. within the the box. Think well, in, think inside the box. Let's assume that most Death Guard players are going to take Mortarian now because sure. he is just insane. He's almost 500 points. Okay. So that's a quarter of your army to start. But that's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, now the Terminators aren't real cheap. 21 points for a Plague Marine, still a unit of five is 100 points. You have Because how, how much is a regular Space Marine? I think they're like 17 or 18, something okay. like that. I think so. So they're a little cheaper, but they don't have the... Yeah, they don't have a minus one toughness aura and reduced damage by one coming in. <laughs> And kicking out these other special rules. Yeah. No, no, no. They have their own thing. But yeah, please do go on how, and how that's worth a point. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. So no, that seems fine and equal. Four points definitely equates to shifting everybody's <laughs> rules. Totally normal and yeah. fine. Okay. So, so very reasonable, Dan. Yeah. Please tell me the yeah. other reasonable no. things that this army does. It, well, like, now here's the other thing. So Nurgle. Slow. You yes. kind of Nurgle equals slow, right? But we've had this conversation about well, Magikin so of Nurgle. Nurgle and Sigmar is not slow. Are no. are they slow? They are five okay. inches typically. Five inches typically. But you have these blade drone things. These mm-hmm. these plague drones, which are pretty fast. They're I remember 10 inches, playing against some of them. Yes. Ten inches. Okay, pretty fast. You have chaos spawn, and people are like chaos spawn. Let me tell you, there's some stuff you can do with spawn. It's crazy. They move seven inches. Okay, nice. It'll be interesting to see how these guys rise within. Well, this is what my buddy plays, so he's going to be very, very happy with that book. Well, right, so he's going to kick my butt up and down the street. Pretty much, okay, terrific, fantastic, love it. Yeah, very, very. Can't wait for that Drakari book to come out. (laughs) Okay, give me a chance. So with that, this is ridiculous. We are going to move on, and we are going to talk about something I know about. about Brendan's Sigmar checklist. So we will be right back. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. All right. So we're back with Brendan's Getting Better at Sigmar checklist. And we're going to start off with Brendan talking a little bit about general philosophy of this whole tool. And we want to remind everybody we are going to try to get a link into the show notes. So please check that if you want the document. Then we're going to kind of hit it detail-wise from a macro and a micro perspective. And then he's going to finish up for us by talking about recommended specific steps you can take to get your game better. So Brendan, why don't you start us off with your general thoughts on this whole thing? Sure. So there are a couple of assumptions that have to be made on the front end of this. Uh, As I was kicking this around with different people, you know, workshopping the idea and making sure that I addressed at least the larger items that are most important to the premise of it, there's two things that really came up that were the biggest points of feedback and through discussions with everybody, you know, like, there's not any words that I could write down to make you better at these things. They come as a result of the other, you know, of what we are going to go through. Mm-hmm. The first of which is list building. I cannot put into a checklist how to write a good Warhammer list. Those are things that you ascertain primarily through experience, playing a myriad number of games going through different lists, seeing how different things interact with each other, talking to people, experiencing things, right? The going through this informs how to build good lists. You can use 
other people's experience as a starting place for these kinds of things. You know, we talk about lists all the time, right? You know, we talk about mm -hmm. units that are good. There are all sorts of resources on the internet. AOS Shorts is one of the places that compiles winning lists. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about some of the macro things, you know, one of the philosophies that was given to me as I started playing competitive Age of Sigmar was a good general or a good list will win you three games. A good general and a good list will win you four games. A good general, a good list, and luck will win you five <laughs> games. Right. But, you know, so well, how do you get a good list? One, you can start by taking it from the internet, but if you're not a good general, it doesn't mean anything, right? So that's part of it. The other part of it is like the super micro decisions, the tactical decisions that are made within games. You know, for instance, one of them is an example that I was discussing with somebody was if you have an objective mm -hmm. and, you know, let's say you've got nine of the new canine shadow stalkers on the objective mm -hmm. and, you know, you would drop them down on the objective and your opponent had previously held the objective with a unit of 20 iron breakers, <laughs> but only like four of them were in the objective. So you hold it because you have more models. Don't charge a unit that can kill off a bunch of your models or also pile in so that now they have more models than you, mm -hmm. right? So small micro decisions, knowing when to, you know, yes, you made the charge roll, but you don't have to move the unit. When to accept some things, when to not, when to use strategy, you're not stratagems, command points, and when not to, when to use your triumph if you have it, and when not to. All of those micro decisions come from some of the other things that are like, Sorry, the tactical decisions are going to come from the things that you experience okay. here in this. Sure. So those are the two base assumptions that you're going to work on. They can come from other places. They can come from experience. You can watch a ton of battle reports. You can listen to people's shows and, and do those kinds of things. And those will help you. The tool that I want to give here is the higher level processes, the things that you should be doing so that when you participate in those other steps, that they are effective. Okay. To begin, some of my philosophies around... Warhammer placed into nice worded documents. This game is fundamentally about risk mitigation. It's okay to make risky decisions, but don't be surprised when bad decisions catch up to you. <laughs> it, it is a dice game. It is totally fine to know that you are doing something that plays at the edge of it. But if you play your whole game at the edge of good decision making, mm -hmm. at some point the dice are going to catch up. Yep. That's it. That's All part right. of it. Winning events starts at the list building step. So... You have to know what you're preparing for, right? You know, why you're making these choices and all these kinds of things. And we'll talk about some of that. Yeah. It is established in your preparation, playing your practice games, studying what's going to be out there, all that, and is executing the details at the event. Sure. But the majority of that occurs before you even walk into the room. Sure. Right. And details for me, when you say that it would be like, okay, what are the battle plans we're going to be playing? You know, which ones are we going to do? Well, you know, you're going to go into it later, but... You know, wow, if you played them all and you know what they are, well, then that's part of that detail. And you've already done that piece. Sure. Okay, but go ahead. It, and like, if that event isn't going to be using realms, don't practice with realms. Yeah. If the event is yeah. going to be using realms, practice with realms. Understand how the realms function. Yep. All this work is done on the front end. Understand that in many instances, good enough is better than perfect. Sure. <laughs> It's a good one. Right. Don't let good be the enemy of the perfect. Yep. You have the objective. You got it by one model. Cool. Good enough. Take it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Take Don't your objective. complain about good things. Would I love to play a perfect game? 
I do. It's one of those things that at the end of the game, I'm like, that was really good. Like, I did everything totally 100% right. Mm. There are games that I win where I made a bucket of mistakes, and I go, all right, (laughs) we'll learn our lessons and move on next. Yep. When you're at tournaments, play all five rounds unless your opponent concedes. It is just as necessary to learn to play with the lead as it is to play from behind. Mm. Never give up and try and steal win from a game that feels away from you. Okay. That concept is real simple, right? Every problem has a solution. Sometimes it's not the solution you like, and sometimes your army doesn't have a meaningful solution. Uh That's part of this game. Your army forces the same issues on other players, too. Be aware of that. So what I mean by that is... There are hard counters in this game. There should realistically never be an instance in the game where your army can defeat everybody in every mission. Mm-hmm. That means something is broken. Something doesn't work. There are armies that absolutely get tabled by Caradron Overlords. But Caradron Overlords has hard counters. Armies that they don't want to see. Armies that they don't want to play. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's the way the game works. Yep. And then the last one here that wasn't in the notes. Stop blaming the double turn for losing games. Mm -hmm. It is a game mechanic. It has been part of the game for five years now, six years now. Sure. It's a mechanic. I'm telling you, (laughs) from my perspective, it's taken me a long time. And I haven't been playing that long, but it's taken me a long time to get over that. I know when we had our little, you know, mini thing done in Illinois, I was just like, okay, I lost the, I'm finally at the point where I lost a double turn. What my first reaction now, what my first reaction before was what you just said is like, Okay, I'm the game over I, I, if I lost this. But now my reaction is, what do I need to do so that this doesn't cost me the game? Well, That's I'm, my first reaction. What do I need to do to deal with the fact that I lost the turn, you know, lost the double turn, and play on and just keep playing the game? You can plan around it. Like mm-hmm. It is a mechanic that you are aware of. It's not mm-hmm. like you got to the table like, oh, we're playing with double turns. And you're like, oh, oh, no, I didn't know that. It, it's a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Plan around it. It's okay to say... I'm positioning myself to try and take advantage of the double turn. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get it, then I am in a disadvantaged position. Mm -hmm. It's okay to go in on the front end and know that and say, I lost in the double turn, but I made these decisions. If you complain about losing in the double turn and you didn't plan for the possibility of it, Mm -hmm. that is your fault. Yes. You can just as well play defensively and never surrender, you know, the mm-hmm. double turn by taking the bottom of a turn and making the decision I around mean, sti- that. I mean, statistically, what, half the time you're going to lose the double turn? It's always statistically in the advantage of the player who went first. Okay. Because they win ties. Right. right. So it's it's slightly okay. shifted to... But like there's a, still a pretty high chance you're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Yes. Yeah. In terms of philosophy, I think these are useful things to yeah. approaching how to think about games of Warhammer in a competitive sense. So keep risk down. It's just kind of about staying above it, really, mm-hmm. and understanding that all these things occur in a controlled environment. You know, there's not a third person running over to your table and like and throwing dice at the table and being like, and now this happens. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. All this is fixed. All this is known. Everything yeah. here is a, is a known. It's not quantity. narrative, Sigmar. 
Right. Where, you know, there may be some story thing. The volcano erupted or there's a six inch chasm in the board and all those models dropped in. Yeah. The missions are known. The lists are fixed. Like, no one writes their own rule. Next, I'd like to move into kind of macro preparation things that you should be doing uh, leading up to an event. And I've grouped them into different categories of things to be doing to win three games in an event, things to be doing to win four games in an event, and things to be doing to be in a position to win five games at an event. Okay. And so three different. Right. And they kind of build off of each other. These are different levels of preparation. And if you're doing all the things to win five games at an event and you are not winning, you probably just need to play some more games. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are going to an event and you're looking to try and win three games, I would start with having played your army at least five times. Right. Have some familiarity around it where game one isn't just the first time that you are, you know, rolling some dice. You've played most of the missions from the start of the handbook to you know to now you know you, you know how they work you know you kind of know how your army operates in them you have some cursory familiarity with them you have developed or utilized some sort of cheat sheet or reminders to keep at the table absolutely even if it's yes. just an eight and a half by 11 that you keep there and you're just like you know things to keep in mind of in these oh, different yeah. phases aos reminders yeah Perfect now, tool for that. I wanted. This is one of those things I wanted to interject. Was what I think is. I mean, reminders is a great tool, but from my perspective, reminders is a tool when you're just starting with your army because it has all this stuff there. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important that eventually you put that list together yourself. You put that cheat sheet together yourself because in the, just in the process of doing that, you get to understand the synergies and the interactions in your army better because just because it's on a piece of paper, you might not really understand where that comes from or why it's important. You know, reroll hits, okay. You're not thinking about a 12-inch bubble when you do that, mm-hmm. or a 9-inch bubble. You're not thinking about that. If it's my nine hunt, for example, okay, I get to reroll hits, great. But wait a minute, I got to be within nine inch, wholly within nine inches. And so those kind of things are important when you write it out that you write all those details and understand where the rules come from. Sure. I think is important to do that yourself eventually. But reminders is a great way to at least know what to build from. One of the other things that works well with that is the War Scroll cards Mm -hmm. that Games Workshop puts out. You don't need to bring the whole pack of every War Scroll card that's in there. Your list is, for the most part, typically six different units. Mm -hmm. You you have duplicates of many of them. It's just six cards you set at the side of the table. Mm -hmm. Boom, there you go. That's part of your cheat sheet. That is part of your quick reference material. Great tool. Right? Terrific. Do that kind of stuff have thoroughly read and understand the core rules, battle tome, and FAQ associated with your own army. Mm-hmm. Know yourself, right? We just went over this two episodes ago yeah. in The Art of Warhammer. Know yourself. Know what your army does. That is one of the most critical elements to just getting over into that kind of winning weekend category. Sure. You are able to play a game without opening your battle tome no more than ten times. That is also part of your cheat sheets. That's keeping your war scroll cards nearby. That's having your notes nearby. Really, you should only be using your battle tome to reference things that are esoteric or you've forgotten or, you know, your spells Mm -hmm. list or your artifacts. You know, maybe you need to clarify the specific language on. You know, those are things that could be on your cheat sheet, but, you know, maybe you didn't because it just doesn't come up that much. Or, because even for me, there's that weird one rule every once in a while where I'm like, I think maybe this will apply. And I try and do it in my opponent's turn so that it's not eating up, you know, the clock. (laughs) Sure. But... Ideally, as we move through these, this is going to be one of the threads that carries through these different pages is it's not necessarily about memorization, but keeping it quick access because the less time you're fiddling around with stuff, the better. 
you have a passing understanding of opponents' lists prior to the game, eh, largely what I mean by that is you've heard of these kinds of lists, right? You know, the, oh, it's a croak list or... It's the boat list with that battalion, and, yeah, and there's like a drop-down thing or something, it's right? It's a KO shoot-me-off-the-board list, so you just shake your opponent's hand and walk. <laughs> no, it's no, not what no, I... No. But, but like, like, you've heard of them. Like, you, right. you are roughly familiar with the premise of, you know, what the army does. And I don't mean that yeah. for, like, literally every army. I mean that for right. the stuff that are going to be your tougher games, the stuff that sure. lives near the top, because plenty of people are going to run things that are different and things that they love and they're going to be their own archetype but by and large the things that win events fit very similar uh, molds okay if you're doing these things to kind of prepare these are the things you should be thinking about if you want to start moving into that three win category well you can do this other stuff too you know so we're going to talk about the prep you should be doing to win four games right you've played your army at least 15 times what that means then is that you've played a number of the missions right you know You've played a couple of different opponents. You've seen your army in different situations. You've, you've done some evaluation of it. So by the time that you come up to that first game at the tournament, it's not like what we're talking about here with winning three games where, where you know, here's where you understand. You have gained some amount of situational warhammer, as it were. Mm. You know, one of the favorite things that the Patriots coach in football is situational football. This is situational warhammer. You know in these kind of different instances that these are maybe some of the things you should be doing. But 15 Mm -hmm. is still kind of a limited pool of experience. So not every moment you are going to be ultimately prepared for. But you're going to have something that you can reference. You have played every mission in its current state. Is the other thing, I and think that your point in its current state is really important. Yes, you've played, you know, focal points, but you played it three years ago. It's a little different. Focal now. points can be a little bit different. Yeah. Right. You know, you've played Battle for the Past before. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you played Battle for the Past? Mm. You know, one of these different things played out of the current handbook, and that can be part of your fifteen games. Okay. You know, just a suggestion. You have tokens for tracking every meaningful effect condition that you can inflict. (laughs) Yes. One of the most critical elements of Warhammer is that your abilities are in your own points. You pay for all these abilities. If you are forgetting to utilize them, either within your own units or against your opponent, you are costing yourself points. It's on you. Like, in the game. You are playing down points if you are not remembering that, you know, you get re-roll hit rolls of one. You know, how many points is that actually worth? I don't know. Probably not a ton. However, it is points that you've paid for. It is points that exist. Use them. Well, to me, when you say that, that's also, you know, points of enemy models that you haven't removed because you haven't used the rule. Sure. You know, that could be 50 points and you do that three or four times. That's a lot of points that you could have had off the board that are still there that you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Have read the battle tomes of the top armies or listen to podcasts that discuss armies and events, uh, such as this one, and read the FAQ for every battle tome. Doesn't mean you've memorized it. It means you've gone through it. You've kind of seen what some of these rules look like. You can start to piece together in your mind what some of these armies might look like, how they might behave. But you have taken the time to be intentional and explicit in that kind of learning, you know, on top of still retaining the knowledge and understanding of of your own army, obviously. You are able to play your game without opening your battle tome no more than five times. That's basically once per battle round. You know the top lists and are familiar with the methodology of how they work. So, you know, how they go about winning their games and key elements roughly of what it is that they want to do you know it revolves around this character it revolves around these spells 
you know, these are the things that you need to know and be aware of, which different than the passing knowledge, which is I've heard of this. I know what it wants to do. This is you being able to say, I know the gears that make the engine work, mm-hmm. what they want to do. Last note in here, winning four games, read the pack. <laughs> read it. Uh, yeah. You'll know the things that you have to be aware of. Are they using realms? What missions do I have to prepare for? Mm-hmm. If they tell you that you are going to be playing these five missions, throw out the notes of having played every mission in their current state. Play the heck out of those five missions against everyone that you possibly can. Mm-hmm. The pack is going to be the thing that tells you what specific preparation you need to do. Okay. I cannot tell you how many times I have played people at events that have not read the pack and are surprised by some amount of knowledge <laughs> that I have told them further into the events than round one. Dan, I... read the pack. <laughs> but that's how you win four games. That's... Okay. <laughs> For the last one, I say how to be in a position to win five games at an event because winning five games takes more than just what you do because as you get towards that top, that's where you're more... So we're at the five games level now. Yeah. Okay, we just transitioned. Okay, all right. So as you get into that wanting to be able to win five games category, some amount of your being able to do that is taken out of your hands. If you catch an army you don't want to see in a mission that your army isn't the best at, that's it. That's the way it goes. And you can't be too mad about it. Or, you know, you're playing a super top-notch player and the dice just moved a little bit below average for you in the bottom half of a battle round, and that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh well. Sure. But if you've done all the things necessary to prep, you can't be too upset by it because when you look back and reflect on the things that you did, you go, hmm, all right. I realistically couldn't have done much else to have changed that circumstance with what I had versus where I was. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's totally fine. Only one person wins. It's okay to be third, right? Like that's, it's okay to be best in your faction. Nothing wrong with that. What I say with this is have played this army at least 30 times. This is where you have moved from understanding to knowing. You know what your army has to do in given situations, in very particular instances, what each unit can do, how it can do it, what it needs to stay away from, and what it cannot do. Cannot is just as valuable as can in these instances. Not every unit can clear, you know, one of these kind of bunkered down, very defensive units. Sometimes you just got to ignore them. You got to know when that's the time. But those are the kinds of things that you're going to pick up from having played that many games have played every mission in their current state with this army specifically. The army that you're planning to take to the event, you have played every mission with that army list. Not just with the Battle Tome, not just with, you know, an army that does something kind of similar, not just with an earlier version of this list. Play this list this many times in these missions. Do that. You have a means of tracking opponents' abilities and resources. So what I mean by that is could just be a notebook could be little dials things like that you're tracking your opponent's command points you're tracking your opponent's meta currencies you're tracking you know you have an eye on where all of their stuff is Mm -hmm. you know be aware of what their summoning points are 
you're also tracking your own things, but you need to be aware of, of where their engine's at and where it's going. Not because your opponent's cheating, but you want to know where their decision-making matrix is going to end up being. Oh, and you know, want to know what's coming at you. Sure. Yeah. You've got eight points and you're going to get a bloodthirster on the board or whatever it is. You want to kind of know that's coming. Right. Yeah. And make decisions around that. Yeah. Pull off a hero, like zone off different areas to keep that from happening. Sure. Or, you know, for instance, you know that your opponent's sitting on one command point. You know at that instance that you can inflict heavy damage on on their units, and they are either going to have to roll for battle shock, mm-hmm. or they're going to spend this point here, and you know that that two command point trick that they're going to want to turn out in the next turn can't happen. So it would be an example of that would be where if you know they got that one command point, mm. then you want to f- make sure you force him to make three bravery checks. Sure. Why not? Because two of them he won't be able to do anything about. They can do something with one. Right. And if you're forcing the second one. But what I'm saying is you are either forcing them to make the sacrifice of anti-battleshocking there, or there are different mechanics that require multiple command points to get that trick to go off. If you make them spend the one on the battleshock then they can't do that trick in their next turn. That's true. Or you've positioned them in the place of them suffering a double turn, potentially, and you force them to, you know, say, what are you going to do with that command point? I know you want to use it to reroll saves, you know, a little bit later. You know, what what are you doing about that here? You might not be able to do anything about this later because this hero is going to be gone. You need to know where their decision is going to sit. Keep track of those things. Not everyone is super good at tracking them. It's okay. Most people forget things. It's likely not intentional, you know, malfeasance, if you will. But if you're on top of it, too, there are going to be no shenanigans that are going to be occurring. Have a thorough understanding of the battle tomes, FAQs of armies of which you expect to see at the event. And by that, I don't mean literally every army at a 160 person event kind of thing. The armies that you are most likely going to encounter things that have a high occurrence, things that are very competitive at that moment in time, the things that you are going to have a problem with. If you have accepted, you know, a challenge from somebody, right, and that's your first round opponent, really know what that army does. Like, be prepared for what that battle tome does. Know the FAQs. I like to keep a little binder on me of all the FAQs for every army rather than try and memorize them. I roughly know, like, where some of the weak spots and questions are going to, you know, lie in some of the minute details. It's okay. But you have to know these things, not just have heard about them, not Mm. just have, like, gone through it a time or two. You know how these armies work. You are able to play most games without opening your battle tome at all. Mm-hmm. You know, again, those are your cheat sheets on the side. But also, if you play your army a million bazillion times, <laughs> you're just going to know what your stuff does. Yeah. Right? So all this other stuff informs these other things. You know how the top lists interact with yours, their goals within specific missions, and how your plans change as a result of that. Whereas to winning three games, you've heard of it. You know, you kind of know what they do. In four, you know how the gears work. And this one is, you know the full interaction of the machine. You aren't necessarily going to know what your particular opponent's decision-making is going to be within you know that machinery. But you know that this list wants to do this, your list wants to do this, in order to adjust your deployments or the way that you move around in that battle round, in these battle plans, and these different things. You know the adjustments you have to make to put yourself in a winning position against the other top armies that you're going to see. You know, with my OCR Bone Reapers list, 
I really didn't want to see shooting lists. So what that meant I had to do is I had to really push the pace, you know, really close the gap, use my Cavalos Death Riders as aggressively as humanly possible to force the issue as soon as I could to keep my slower items safe. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that works out. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. But that's one of my hard counters. But that's knowing what I have to do in those situations. You know, there are armies that I hard counter and I know that they're probably going to do this, that, and the other to, you know, to get on top of it. But if I start to see that happen, I'm going to make these shifts and it's going to put them in a position that they really don't want to be in. But that takes time. That takes research. That takes understanding. That takes playing 30 games, a lot of games. That's a lot of games. It is. But if you want to win events, you need to have that kind of understanding. You can't be learning it on the well, fly. You've got to invest the time. That's it. You right. have to. Yeah. Well, it's like anything, Brendan. It's practice. It's like in anything, any kind of competitive activity, the more you practice, the better you get. Sure. It just goes along with it. You cannot be learning about your opponent if you want to win an event. Mm-hmm. You have to know how these things work. Understand the pack and potential circumstances that may arise at the events. So mm-hmm. you know how the secondaries work. You know where the different scoring is going to And you're going to from. talk more about secondaries, I think, when you talk about micros. Okay. Exactly. Good. All right. You know the path through the five games of what it takes to end up with enough points at the end. If you get five points for showing up with a can of soup, bring a can of soup. <laughs> yeah. it's like, no, it's so true. You know. <laughs> Things like that. If you know that you know there are different paths to getting full points, mm-hmm. map out what full points looks like for you. Sure. Figure that out. If you know that you have to win an event to have a beautifully painted army and be very sportsmanly, work on that. Mm-hmm. That is also part of it. Do those things. At the event, once you've resolved your game, begin looking to the next round. Don't think about the next round in the middle of your right. current game. And start considering your plan based on what you know about the room. And so what I mean by that is you likely know what your next mission is. Like, you know, in most packs, you know, you get your full mission set when you come in the day of. So you know what round one, two, three, and four, and five are going to look like. But when I talk about what also is in the room, who are on the tables near you? What's common? Who looks like they're going to come out as the winners in these? So walk around the room and go see who's playing what, Yeah, basically. The most competitive players, once their games are over... Start filtering around the room, you know, to check on their clubmates, one. Of course. But two, they're also doing that to see who's playing what. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll stick around a little bit. They'll kind of see how it's being played. Mm-hmm. They're going to do a little bit of scouting. We talked about this in the Art of Warhammer, right? You know, yeah. the you have, ideally, you know, clubmates who can also help you out with this. You know, they're like, oh, hey, did you see... If we get that the- lunch break, that's what you talked about using that lunch break. For. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you see, you know, that guy on table 19 with that, like, super crazy Slanesh list? And, you know, like, oh, no, like, what What was it? And they're like, it's not your normal one. He's playing a, playing a Seekers list as opposed to the Pretenders list. Okay. Or an Invaders list or whatever. And you're like, oh, so, and you go through these different things. See what you might come up against. Now, obviously, you can't realistically plan for every circumstance, but... As the event goes on further and further, that pool becomes smaller and smaller, and you can be a little bit more intentional in it than in your first after rounds one and after rounds two. Okay. But just be aware of how the event is filtering itself out. Okay. Those are kind of the macro decisions All right. uh, that I think you need to kind of take care of. Dan, is there anything that you want to add? Anything you want to... Questions no, around? I think at the anything end... Anything you I've think I've some... missed? No, no. I, I'm not one to say that. 
or things that have really helped you in particular? Because I know you've taken a long journey from Ooh, winning geez. one game at Bruce City. <laughs> and that was like, woof, I just won that one. Right, so it's yeah. really half a game. Skinny your teeth kind of thing. Yeah. You know, to where you are playing a, a difficult army, Night Haunt, you very competently. What are the different things? And obviously we'd have different... If we had events, we'd have different barometers to measure this against. But you are a more capable player as a result of, uh, I think, many of these things. Yeah, and I'm just listening, and it's like, yeah, that's how I won this game against it. I more measure my success against who I beat, you know, who I'm playing, because that makes a huge difference to me. Mm -hmm. Now, you're very lucky in that you have a a pool of players that you can, that have a a diversity of skill and list that you can play against. right. I'm aiming this at, you know, folks who maybe don't have that. Even if you just have one buddy that you can play, yeah, these are things you can do. Absolutely. I, I think the other piece of this is that I did this a lot. I just psyched myself out, and I should know better having been an athlete. You never walk into a game, no matter who you're playing, and saying, okay, I'm done. I, I can't win this game. Sure. I remember Bruce City I did in one game, and I went to you. I'm like, oh, this is done. I'm just going to play it out. And you, I'm sure you can remember which game that was, and it was like, now that I think about it, it was stupid. I could have done better if I hadn't psyched myself out of the beginning. And now I can tell you, I don't do that. It doesn't matter who I'm playing, who I'm across the table from, what it is. Even if it's, you know, your your monster truck army, which I have played before. Now I'm like, okay, you know what? This is going to be really, really tough to win this game. And maybe... I just can't win it, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get as much experience out of this as I can. Hmm. And you get experience from losing games as well as winning them. It's always more fun to win games. (laughs) Obviously, it's more fun. But a lot of these games I play with my Nighthawk, I've lost. But then I adjust my lists or I put a different mix of units in reserve or whatever else it is. And so every game has taught me something. So that would be my piece of this that... I've learned is to take every single game from the experience that it is and play the best you can and know that no matter how the game ends, you will have taken something away that's going to make you a better player. Yeah. I mean, that's my thought. And maybe this is something that belonged in the philosophy section, but don't worry about the name across the table from you. (laughs) There are chances that you're going to play people who you know to be very good. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Just because you know that they're a good player doesn't mean nothing. You could be playing somebody that plays very secretly, you know, doesn't have any sort of online presence, uh, and this is their first time playing or an event in this region, and they're way better than you. Same as that other named person. Why should you be more comfortable just not knowing that, you know, that this person is, you know, secret Warhammer savant? Well, that's a before or after thing for me now. Before it was like, oh my God, I'm playing this person. Mm. Now it's like, if I beat that person afterwards, I feel really good. Yeah. I, I feel really competent. So it's not that I worry on the front end. I just feel good on the back end if I am successful. You know, so that's a big thing too. Yeah. Everyone's just a person. Christian's a really good Sigmar player. Sure. He really is. Before, I can tell you, you know, a year and a half ago, if I knew I was going to be playing Christian, it was like, and then he brought Lumineth to that event. It was like, I could have just gotten freaked out. But hey, I ended up tying the guy and I even made mistakes. And we talked about that when we talked about my game played. So yeah, I I could have psyched myself out, but I didn't. You know, did all those guys with those spears look ugly? Yeah, they looked really ugly, but they really looked good on the table. So I didn't worry about it. I just played the game. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference, Brendan. Yeah. If you've done the prep work, that's all you can take in with you. Yeah. 
And questions people ask me is, oh, are you ready for this? And we're here. It's as ready as I'm going to be. I think there is no alternative. One of the things, though, I've thought about this. It's going to be, my God, by the time we get back, it's going to be a year and a half, maybe two years between the time we played at major events. I'm just being honest (laughs) here with everyone. I don't want to think about it. But yeah. But my point would be, I think folks, I'm hoping folks are just so excited to be back in a room with their friends or new people they're going to meet, rolling dice, having a great time, that it's going to overcome that fear or whatever it is of playing this person or that army or whatever and just like oh yes i'm playing sigmar again i'm out of practice come get me (laughs) (laughs) i think that's part of it too people are going to be so excited about about being out there again it'll it'll be a wonderful experience for everybody yeah okay we're going to take a break then brendan thank you for all that that was yeah we're going to come back we're going to talk about the micro and some of the steps that you can take to be better okay we'll be right back you could ask yourself a question do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? We're back, and Brendan is going to talk to us about the little stuff as opposed to the big picture. So go ahead. Yeah, so this is the micro as opposed to, like, the super micro and the tactical of being in-game. These are more maybe specific items that you need to keep in mind. First and foremost, in dealing with secondaries and side objectives, those are... Decisions you're going to make at every event, you know, and mm-hmm. now it's the tiebreaker mechanic within yes, games. Absolutely. I'm the kind of person that thinks that you should keep the easiest secondaries for your hardest games, mm-hmm. and then in your easier games, find the more difficult of the secondaries that you can complete. Get those points there. You, you don't want to be in the middle of a hard game trying to solve a hard objective. Another difficult problem. It, correct. <laughs> okay. Offload the easy thoughts for the difficult Makes endeavors. Perfect sense. Next one is. Ask your opponent about their rules. Like it's, This one's real simple. What their units do. You should do this when you swap lists, before you start setting up, you know, walk through with them what all this stuff does. What does this artifact do? What does this spell do? What does this unit do? This is something you guys taught me early on that I didn't ever do. I, I can't tell you how long it took me to realize, ask the freaking questions. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't cost you anything. And maybe you know the answers to the, you know, I almost always do this. In a lot of cases, I already know what their army does. I am asking them, one, for a refresher on some of the things that I am not intimately familiar with, but two, to make sure that anything that we disagree on is ideally resolved on the front end. You know, if they say that this spell does this and, you know, it can do these kinds of things, be like, "Mm, really? And, you know, we'll take a look at it then. And then we'll have the base understanding on the front end as opposed to midway through the game you have done this thing, it's not the way it works, and I go, hey, you don't get 47 additional attacks to that unit. (laughs) That's not at all how that goes. Right. No. (laughs) This game is open notes, open book. There are very few explicitly secret things in this game. Mm. There are things that say, you know, keep this secret, you know, write this down somewhere else, you know, the Archeon role, you know, you put under like a cup or something like that. Those are supposed to be secret things that occur. Everything else is public consumption. Now, you don't have to tell them what your grand scheme is. You don't have to tell them how you're going to do this to this unit and do this and this and this, and it becomes this and all these. I don't know anybody who does that. Yeah. Brendan, (laughs) I'm referring, of course, as you guys know, that I have a bad habit of telling people who I'm putting underground first. 
and without without them wondering which ones are going underground. Yeah. Dumb. Stupid. You, you don't have to tell people those things. No. You know, you can tell your opponent that up to 50% of your units can be deployed right. off table and that sure. for each unit you put off table, you have to have a unit on table first. Right. Okay. That's all you have to tell them. You don't have to tell them that your coach is going. You don't have to tell them <laughs> that the 30 brick of chain rass is going. No. This is what it can do. I have a Dreadblade Harrow, and he can teleport, and there's this other command ability that I can use to pull units to him. Yep. And, you know, both of those occur at the start of the movement phase. That's it. You don't have to tell them that, you know, you're going to be doing that. You don't have to tell them that, you know, I'm going to try and visually set up a different deployment than what I'm going to actually do in my first turn. Sure. I don't know. Tell them your rules. Don't tell them your plan. AOS Coach has an excellent episode on this subject matter specifically on questions to ask your opponent. Okay. That's one of those things that's particularly useful. He gets into the specifics of stuff that he likes to ask them, you know, deployment shenanigans or, you know, who has different abilities that alter different things and and the like. Next is don't make any more decisions than are absolutely necessary. Force your opponent to make more decisions than you and ideally make the solutions to all those decisions bad options ensure that you are capitalizing on the mistakes of your opponents that you have set up then falling into the mistakes of your own making part of this is that objective example you control it you know that you can't do enough damage to that other unit to till hold the objective or to pull them on it that's a decision that you make make them decide to come bring more models on the objective to come charge you to come do these other things if you're in control stay in control Don't do anything extra that does not have to be done. You can win and lose games in the deployment phase. This is where executing your plan starts and is the most likely part of your plan to be modified based on your opponent's list. A lot of people have a fear of deployment shenanigans, as we like Mm -hmm. to call it. The ability to relocate or set off of a board edge or, you know, come from different places later on in games. Use this to your benefit. Some players are terrified at the prospect of a 10-man unit and its ability to pop up on one of their edges and will intentionally, to the detriment of their own plan, prevent something that is unlikely to actually cause them any harm, to treat it as if it's your 500-point Death Star. Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, here's my 10-unit chain ass, and I can pop them up anywhere. And they'll be like, oh, no, <laughs> on the edge of my line where <laughs> even if I make a super long charge, I'd only have one model in range of the objective. Well, I better square that off. Now, it doesn't mean to leave everything behind and, you know, make it difficult for your opponents to get to that. You know, you're not going to roll up as far as you can and leave your back objective totally unprotected for you, Dan, to drop a guardian of souls on their objective and go, (laughs) it's mine now. Right, Uh, right. I don't mean that. I mean, like, people will literally space out everything. Use that to your advantage. Sure. One of the kind of most influential moments on where my mind shifted in and around playing Warhammer was when I was a teenager, I had my Warhammer Fantasy Army was Beasts of Chaos, mm-hmm. which were terrible. I got them because they were cool, and I was already in the army, so that's what I was going to play. I learned I could beat people by deploying really weird and making them think that different things were going to happen that weren't, and to utilize speed and trickery and all that kind of nonsense. Use your experience in these other games that you're playing to understand how to use the deployment phase to manipulate what you want your opponent to do. Art of Warhammer, right? Feign weakness and be strong. It's, sure. There it is. Yeah. Use these different things. So this one was kind of a tougher section to write because 
I wanted to stay out of the totally tactical of all these specific instances to oh, show sure. people of what to do. And I, and I realized that that is a visual format educating thing. And this is a podcast for those of you that aren't aware. <laughs> there is no visual element for the rest of you. These would all be things I'd be showing Dan and hoping that I can put enough of the English words around it that you can draw a picture in your head. Visualize. And yeah, wasn't going to work. Dan, is there any micro things that... No, I, that covers it for me. All right. That's great. Things you should be doing if you want to be a better player. Number one, find an opponent where you can play slow games with. The person I most do this with is Dave. You know, Dave's been on the show a couple of different times. Dave and I are both tournament players. But in the lead up of learning specific armies and things like that, we will play games that take three and a half to four hours long sometimes. Mm. That is way longer than a tournament game, obviously. Two and a half, two hours and 45. Yeah. Because what we are doing is we are going through our book and we're making sure that, you know, we're capturing all of our rules and him and I are talking about the different decisions that we have to make and how these things are working and what they're doing and what I'm doing, all that kind of stuff. So that's what I mean, slow games. Not, you know, just drinking beer and stuff like that, but take your time around it. Make sure that you're getting the things right, understanding the interactions. It's okay to make mistakes in practice games. That's what practice games are for. Be forgiving to each other. Oh, I forgot to move this unit. Is it okay if I do it? Say yes. There's no, like, your practice game is meaningless. Right. If the opponent is just... No, you can't. You have to learn a lesson. If you do this in a real game... (laughs) Sure. If that's the kind of practice game that you're doing, then yeah. And you've got your timer on, and, you know, there's, like... And you have odd smells wafting through the area in which you're playing, and you're kind of thirsty... Sure, if you're going for realism there, yeah, yeah, but that's not the in, that's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Talk about each other's decisions in your practice game. Be honest about what your plans are. If you are trying to get better, you need to be able to think about what your opponent is likely to do and be of the mind that they are likely understanding what you are trying to do. And so, in your practice format, actually put it out there. Say to your opponent, you know, like. Your buddy, obviously, you know, you're talking about like, look, this is my army. This is what I'm trying to do. Explain your plan a little bit between rounds and say, you know, like, I think I can get to the win if I can do this, 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 and this. And then your opponent's like, okay, I kind of saw that a little bit. So I'm hoping that you're going to do this. And then I'm going to bring this over to get in the habit of thinking several steps ahead. Really great players already know what your plan is. And if you're also a great player at the same time, you know what their plan is probably too. Obviously not necessarily to the finest of detail, but... In the big picture. Okay. One of the other things that I found to be particularly helpful is be willing to replace extremely bad roles with average ones in practice games. You gain nothing as a player. There's a time when I was practicing for ATC and, and Slanesh was new and there was a Slanesh list that was going to be there. And Dave was playing out the Slanesh army and he failed three keeper locust roles, which are two ups, mind you. I'm like, okay, we're going to pick two of these that are going to pass, and the other one's going to fail. That's something that could realistically happen. It is unrealistic, you know, when you're dealing with averages and what is likely to expect to happen, but they're going to roll three ones. If you're playing a tournament game and they roll three ones, you go, cool, I already knew what I was going to do if, you know, the normal thing happened. This is only gravy for me, baby. Bonus. (laughs) Exactly. But I don't want to say replace the extremely good rolls with average ones because... It's okay to learn to happen when you're playing at the disadvantage, too. Right. Yeah, they nailed, you know, I'm playing a Nighthawk guy, and he rolled seven 10-ups on his charges in a row. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, well. well, all right. Well, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> and if it happened early, you can just re-rack the game and play again. Sure. And if they keep rolling those 10-up charges, ask to see their dice. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's true. So that's what I mean with slow games, right? These these kind of patient, educational, intent, you know, ones, things of that nature. Then the next step is one that we've talked about before on different shows, but keep a notebook and use it. Write down your plan at the start of the game so, you know what your opponent is, what you plan to do, what the mission is, all those things, what you are planning to do, you know, what you think is going to happen before anything is really rolled, maybe past you know, deployment to the first battle round. Then write what happened in each battle round, the things that you think you, know, you need to do, adjustments off of the top line effectively. Keep doing that through the game. You know, and at the end, the analysis of what happened, things that went wrong, things that went right, things that you didn't see that were going to open up, and derive meaningful action from those. These notes are nothing if you don't change behavior off of it. When I am starting new things and new ideas, I have my notebook out. You know, you've seen it, Dan, a couple times. And I'll kind of write some ideas down and some things that help me. And when I come back to it next time or afterwards, I'll look at it and be like, okay, well, here are the changes I need to make. Once I have established what I know and understand it to be, the notebook goes away. Is that I'm playing off of a base game. And... You might want to use it for a longer period of time. This is the process that works for me. Now, as we move into kind of some of the larger ideas of how to get good, what are the things I have to do, right? So I found my opponent. I have my notebook. What do I have to be doing structurally to be better at this? And the thing here is you got to be consistent. (laughs) It looks Um, like you're reading this, yeah. You got to be super consistent. Pick one battle tome. One. Play it for a whole year. Try and play a game a week, you know, on average. Sometimes you got a free Saturday, you and your buddies are going to play three games. Cool. You're Great. off the hook for three weeks. Sure. Next two weeks, yeah. Yeah, you can get a game in the next week. You know, maybe your, your March is really busy. You know, you got some other games in the other times. An average of about a game a week. Cool. And with that, what you're going to learn, and you can write, you can play different lists. You can play different versions of that list. You can give them different artifacts. You can do different things. I would say don't take too many extreme steps between, you know, games in the beginning. You can make adjustments later on. But what this is going to teach you is it's going to teach you the fundamentals of the game, right? You will thoroughly understand all of the phases in which you play if you're doing this you know, all the time. And at the end of it, you are going to be playing games and seeing opportunities that open up to you that you had not considered before because you weren't totally familiar that you can charge the edges of these units, right? These are the super minute tactical decisions. Pull off enough models in the middle from impact hits or whatever, where the third charge can go through the screening unit and into what you actually wanted to hit. Now, those are going to be things that once you have established all this, you aren't going to have to play as many games with that one battle tome. You can play some other things a lot quicker and get to speed with it. But you can't do that unless you have built the foundation on which to build this house. The book I most recommend for starting this, and I've said it a couple times at this point, Orc War Clans. Mm. Moving from Iron Jaws to Bone Splitters to Big Wah teaches you most of the things that you will need to know of a quote-unquote normal Warhammer book. Okay. Things like Caradron operate on the edges. Things like Eels operate on the edges. You know, things that revolve around a singular concept are their own kind of thing. But between those, it teaches you how to play with low model count armies, with high model count armies, with good armor, with low bravery, 
with high damage, with rend, without rend, with spells, combos, and meta mechanics, and all those kinds of things. Between all three of them, you'll learn to do that. The next bit here is that should also teach you what you're most comfortable playing. Within a battle tome, there's so many different choices and things like that that you will find, oh, well, I like playing with hordes. I like playing with monsters. I'm very comfortable playing kind of a defensive strategy. I'm very comfortable with these kinds of units and ideas. And Or I don't like my heroes being a bunch of, like, eight-wound models spaced out across the board. I much prefer to have three that are kind of, you know, beefier. There is nothing that I can tell you that is going to teach you about what makes you most comfortable. You have to just do it. One of the other ones, this one's time intensive, but you can participate in it in that, you know, once per week, you know, same battle tome idea is play every mission with the same army, same list against the same opponent with the same list, not the same list as yours, their own same list, and just play every mission that way, all 18 of them, you know, so Dan, I could play your your night haunt list 18 times one in each mission and you know you'll play against my monster trucks 18 times but what you're going to learn there is how these armies interact with each other in different situations there are going to be missions where my monster trucks kick your butt and there's going to be missions where my monster trucks can't do anything against night haunt but thinking about where all of that lies it teaches you flexibility within your own army this is teaching same, 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 like you're talking about now, teaches you flexibility as opposed to teaching you fundamentals. Yes. So basically you're moving to the advanced stage of using your army instead of just learning the basics. You can do these things at the same time. Okay. You know, this can be part of playing that same battle tome, you know, a bunch of times. It just happens to be that, you know, Dan, we're going to get together, you know, roughly once a month, a little bit more than that slightly, and we're going to play, you know, a different mission with the same list every time. And... What you're going to glean from that is that situational Warhammer thing that we just talked about. Yes. Yeah, okay, I beat this army in 12 of the 18 missions, kind of no matter what. How do I play in these missions the other six times? Because chances are your army isn't unique in giving me problems. You've been in that situation. You've seen it before. You know what worked and what didn't. How do you change from that? Overall, if you do these things, I would say pretty confidently that you would end up as a better player than where you started. Okay. That's the notes section. That's the checklist. That's what I've got. That's what we went through. Dan, thoughts, comments, criticisms, concerns? No, this is great. This is a great tool. And my one thought is that, you know, we always hear about the meta. We talk about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, what I've learned is having... Being one of those chasing the bright lights kind of guys, you know, when the new battle tome comes out. I want one of those. Is... Don't worry about what the meta tells you about your battle tome, listeners. Don't worry about it. You can listen to it all you want. My Nighthawk may never win me a tournament. Sure. They may never win me best death. They may not. But that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy playing them and that I don't enjoy getting better at playing them. I'm going to do what you've talked about here and keep playing more games. I played, what, 10 games with them, I think, so far. I'm going to end up playing 30 games with them, you know, right? It's not about worrying where I'm going to be in the meta or how much I'm going to win or lose. As long as I'm doing these things to become better mm-hmm. player, I'm not going to worry about where my list resides in the environment. And I think that's important because I think some people, especially newer players, like what army should I build so that I don't lose all the time? What army should I take so I win all the time? It's not about that. It really isn't because I've seen you 
with a certain list. You've, example, you've seen me roll out with nonsense. <laughs> yeah. My example would be, I've seen you win tournaments consistently. And you played all kinds of different armies, although you played the same sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I remember at Midwest when Bryce just threw you a list yeah. that you didn't do any of these things with. Sure. You didn't even play the list, but you're an excellent Sigmar player. You know all the fundamentals. You understand other armies and those things. You did it pretty well, but you didn't win. It wasn't Brendan going to a tournament and he won. I won my three games. Yes. I had a chance to win four. Yeah. And if all of my stuff was painted right, I was going to finish in the top like 25% of the event. Right. And so it didn't matter what you were playing though. And I don't think you cared. Bryce, that's something you guys decided. And it was great. And I'm sure it was a cool experience for you because it's something you'd never really done. Yeah. There was definitely some frustrating moments uh, where I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, this list does not have the tools (laughs) to do the thing that I'm I'm used to. Yeah. But you know, I I had to get over it, right? Because my list wasn't going to change over the course of the event. But you know, how many times do we go to Grognards, and I'm just and they're like, "Oh, Brennan, what did you bring?" And I'm like, "I uh, threw together this list. Um, It's four (laughs) Lords of Change. I saw someone running it on the internet, and I figured I'd give it a shot." Like, no, you okay? What do you have? This I have twelve Crypt Horrors and a battalion for them. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just don't worry, listeners, about what you're taking. Try different stuff. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But don't worry about where you sit. Just play your army. Enjoy your army. Enjoy painting it, building it, learning it. That's, to me, anyway, mm-hmm. that's what's the most important thing. Right. And if your goal is to be a successful Warhammer player, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no money involved. If you no. want a full trophy case, right, of non-painting and sportsmanship related things, you know, the awards based on winning events, it doesn't happen overnight. <sighs> I am not a person that just stumbled across this game and magically I just happened to know it. I have been playing this game for 18 years. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. I have been playing this game for over half my life. Learn these things over time. I started off as a very bad Warhammer fantasy player mm. when I moved over to the fantasy side of things. I've been playing 40k for a long time, you know, with me and my buddies, and fantasy looked really cool. I was a terrible fantasy player, uh-huh. but I wanted to get better. How do you do that? By doing it more. Uh-huh. It's okay to lose. You are not a worse person for it. You are going to lose games. I lose games still. This isn't like where I keep a clean sheet all the time. I lose games. It happens. Some of them I'm not happy about, but I learn from them. I do something about it. Mm -hmm. Be patient. Be patient with yourself. It takes time. Look for progress. Okay. Brendan, thank you for taking the time to do that. That was It's quite a document, and I really appreciate having it as a, yeah, a resource now. No problem. So thank you. This is just a quick thousand words. Yeah, nothing. Uh, it's nothing. <laughs> Whatever. I, right. I mean, I can talk for hours about this kind <laughs> of, of stuff. It was could. just distilling it down into, you know, Something into usable. ideas. Exactly. Something usable. You, know, you can't have me in your pocket all the time going, hey, uh, did no. you think about that? No. Yeah. I got my phone, but... <laughs> All right. So thanks again, listeners, for hanging in there with us. And we hope that was a good good piece of gear for you. Yeah. And we are going to move on, as usual, to Scriptorium. So, Brendan, we got a few, a couple of yeah. new releases, but oh. not much stuff. Woo. The main thing, Mephiston's City of Light, which is Mephiston's third book, is on audio now. It was only a book before. So that's great for those non-readers. 
And the other thing, which I have not signed up for, but I'm going to, is there's an Inquisition Week subscription for five stories written by various authors. I believe David Annadale, who a lot of people know is one of the authors. And I'm going to do that. Five different short stories about Inquisition stuffs. So it sounds interesting. Mm. And the the descriptions of each story have been really interesting to read and kind of looking forward to those. So that's new stuff, really. Okay. Um, we're, we're saving everything for February when this is going to be like the longest part of the show. <laughs> Brendan, how about you for all your stuff, reading, watching, listening? Yeah, so in terms of watching, I finished watching season four of Big Mouth and season three of Disenchantment. On, Big Mouth, you're watching? Oh, yeah. It's so bad. On Netflix. This is a cartoon. It is full, immersive adult swim, just so everybody knows beforehand. Yeah. I don't care if it's little tiny kids. It is full adult swim, just so you know. But it is hilarious. Yeah. So I finished watching season four and yes. I finished watching season three of Disenchantment. Okay. Have you seen Disenchantment before? I saw it. I, it didn't have a great deal of interest mm. for me, but Big Mouth I love. So Disenchantment is written by the people who did Futurama and some other shows in, mm-hmm. that, in that same ilk. This is just set in a high fantasy yeah. you know, environment. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Oh, yeah. It comes out and I make it a priority to watch. So sure. you know, we'll That's put it great. that way. It's not like my most favorite show in the world. Yeah. It's, not, it's not Futurama to me where in college we basically just had Futurama going on in the main living room at all times. <laughs> Somebody was watching something. But you know, they, they've captured some of that again. That's what I've been watching. In terms of uh, listening, I've been working through my way of the Roman Emperor series. Now, have um, you gotten to Emperor Aurelian, not Marcus Aurelian, Emperor Aurelian yet? Can you remember? No, I don't. He's later. He's a little no, bit oh, later. No, emperor. no, no, no. Okay. I, like, right. I'm just in the, the year of three emperors right now. Okay, because I asked because I had, for some reason, I had read a synopsis of him and they were talking about who was the greatest emperor. And there's, you know, these different... Mm-hmm arguments but they had aurelian so kind of keep an ear out for him okay just because in terms of geography he basically restored the empire i definitely haven't gotten that no, far he, he's really fascinating very very successful emperor but anyway i just wanted to throw that out there for you yeah as i flip through what i have listened to here i mean this is terrific podcast it's stuff. great radio yeah yeah, who are you? Oh, I'm not even close. He's 43. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm on eight. All right. Okay, we got to wait. I'll check with you in August. Yes. <laughs> months from now, I will I will have an answer to that question. Okay. All right. Then in terms of other listens, which I guess would technically qualify under, under reading, Dan, you obviously got me an Audible subscription. Yeah. yeah. I am listening to American Prometheus, a biography about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. What do you think about it so far? I like it. He's an interesting character. That's Ooh. that's why I wanted to pursue it. Yeah. I'm still in, quote unquote, his early life in okay. his early 20s um, is where I just left off as I got out of the car here. You know, I don't want to say, you know, I'm Robert Oppenheimer, uh, but there's some things that like that he, you know, was, was very frank about with some of his friends where I'm like, mm. oh, like, you know, you think of some of these people as like really kind of above a lot of the human experience. Uh, he was mm. talking about how he was required to go to therapy for some some horrible thing that he did at Cambridge. <laughs> and he got a new therapist because he said, oh, this person's an idiot and I know more about my own problems than they will know about it. Um, 
which is a thing I've said to a therapist. Uh, <laughs> I was like, huh, I am also a jerk. Fair enough. <laughs> I might like this guy if I met him. Yeah. Yeah. My feedback, again, this is way down the road for you, mm-hmm. is my most fascinating part of his story is his interaction with McCarthy era. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was fascinating to me how you don't think that people like this are ever affected by stuff like that. Right. So that's one of the things that I knew about him is he was largely an ethicist, you know, Mm -hmm. when it comes to his ideology towards life. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems, which is also when you think about the high strangeness of the McCarthy era and the communist stairs is... The communist societies that existed at the time were anti-intellectual. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And the people who were anti-communist were also anti-intellectual, yeah. which kind of makes you wonder, who is pro-intellectual Like in terms of what the society structure looks like? Because sure. obviously, this is a person who has a lot of value. Are you claiming that they have dangerous thoughts because they're smarter than you? Yeah. Like it's interesting. what like where does this come from? And he's certainly not the only person to fall victim to no. you know systems like that, but one of the things that struck me as very interesting so far is obviously I have my engineering degree so I have a background in a lot of physics-based ideas. Mm-hmm. He was friends with just all of these people, like he went to school with, they were his mentors, they were his professors, they were his peers. All these people who came up with all these modern physics principles that are taught in like the second year of physics courses for a person like an engineering student like me. Now we don't get into, you know, necessarily like the mathematical proofs of those, but just, hey, here's how this works. You just need to know that. He's just like, oh yeah, he was just friends with Heisenberg. And uh, she's like, oh, okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he hung out with all the guys that invented quantum mechanics. Like, obviously they're all physicists, you know, working together in these different societies. But it's like, they were all at the same college. They were all at the same school. They were all in the same lab. And... Oh yeah, I mean, it was, I wouldn't call it a clique, but there was this community. Sure. Yeah. Of... Incredibly, an average IQ of 180, you know, kind of thing. It's insane. It's interesting to kind of have that closer perspective into some of that, you know, because I wonder if at the time they knew that they were writing the things that would be fundamental to life a uh, hundred years from now. So that's uh, that's what I've been working on, and I've got some more credits. So when I eventually burn through that, I'm sure I'll have other things I want to chase down, and sure. I'll be asking you for recommendations and the like. Cool. So, but yeah, what about you, Dan? You've got a couple things on here. Yeah, I finished two books. It was great. I finished Avenging Sun, which is the first on a fire book, mm-hmm. and I said before it was just an excellent book as terms of being a primer or a preparation an understanding of the indomitus era very good i finished fury of magnus oh my gosh brendan (laughs) graham just ah it was unbelievable because i think if you read about magnus if you read all the books and the lore about magnus sure i think you were absolutely conflicted of how to feel about this guy and this book did not help with that. <laughs> well, that's good character writing. It, it like, is. No, it's great. That's what I was saying. It put He did this thing, and you're like, okay, so that's very redemptive. And then he did this thing, and you're like, what an idiot. <laughs> it, it just was really good, and it was great because, again, it pulled in characters from the siege, and it pulled in characters from you know the heresy, and just did a really, really nice job. If you are a Thousand Sons fan, 
You have to read Fury of Magnus. I'm just telling you. Even the sorcerers that he surrounded himself with in this book was pretty cool. And then I loved it because there was a team of space wolf rune priests who were like witch hunters. You know, mm. they went after psychers and stuff. And they were part of this story. And it, when they kind of introduced them, you're like, wow, that is awesome. In terms of starting my next book, I got a book by a guy named George Gilder, and it's called Life After Google. Now, he wrote another book called Life After Television, in which he predicted years before about the demise of TV due to streaming services and all those kind of things. And I'm like, it really happened. Right. So I thought, well, he's got some credibility here. And in his thing in this book, and I'm learning more, I thought I understood about blockchains. I didn't understand what that was. Hmm. And it's a lot of it has to do with security from the top down. That's how we have security now online and in the in the ether. He talks about having security from the bottom up where people, individuals control the level of security inside of cyberspace rather than the, the organizations. The organizations and the corporations doing it. And just that sea change of how to look at, you know, the electronic, the internet world, that kind of thing was fascinating. And that's just early. I'm only like 80 pages into the book. So really fascinating. Hmm. And I think I'll learn a lot from it. But it's called Life After Google. I'm four hours into The Blade Itself, which was that book that was recommended by the Plan and Slaying crew. Yep. I'm really enjoying it. There's three that I can count, three main characters. And just the way they move around in each of their stories is kind of interesting. I'll be interested to see if they end up interacting at some point in the book, which will be really good. And then I am absolutely hooked on this new Netflix series. It's called Love, Death, and Robots. It is past R rated. <laughs> there is some stuff in here. This is another one of those things. That Cindy, you, have you been watching this too alongside no, of him? She has not. Okay. It's, it's very sci-fi oriented, dystopia oriented. And what it is, <laughs> it's 10 to 15 minute little stories and it's a combination there's a little bit of live action but it's mostly very good cgi and very good animation and the stories are just all over the place but my caution is if you're going to watch this you do not want to watch this with younger kids around i mean there's a lot of nudity there's sex there's language there's the, the violence the, and gore well, and the gore and smoking which is one of my favorite r ratings <laughs> when i'm watching shows you know it'll be like oh this is rated r why Smoking, Brendan. Like, I can tell you the the gore in this makes corn look like a puppy dog. Oh man, it, it, it gets pretty bad. But Ooh, but the stories are just—they're all over the place. So there, you cannot predict what is going to happen. You think this one's going to have a good ending, and all of a sudden something happens. You're like, I was not expecting that. Hmm. And the the caution is when you watch the first episode. Basically, it's about these three robots that are taking kind of their own self guided tourist trip through a abandoned human city that's like apocalyptically you know destroyed it's funny it's actually pretty humorous you're thinking well they're all like this is cool no they're not all like this just some very i told you that in the one of them the imagery imagine the what it would look like to be on the inside of a nurgle space hulk it was just that grotesque and that the art and the drawing was like Gross. oh my gosh it was just disturbing but it is very good because it's so different some of the stories are you know they have very tragic endings some of them have really cool heroic endings some you just kind of laugh at really really good and the cast of characters is really appropriate for today it just really they've done a really really nice job with it so i'm pretty much whenever i get on the elliptical i'm watching this and there's lots and lots of episodes ahead so that's a weird recommend. show to watch on the elliptical day yeah well it works <laughs> All right, Keep, I guess. It makes time pass very quickly. Fair enough. And that's important. Uh, so that's it 
for me and listening and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So I guess we are moving on to this or that. Okay. All right. And do you want to start? No, you start. I'll please. start. Okay. Please. Mine here, we're going to start with, we're going to kind of work through the way the show worked for us. So would you, in terms of the preview... Oh, yeah, sure. With the vampires in specific. Now, obviously, there's an unknown on the other side. Okay. Yeah. I think we both agree that the warband for the vampires was incredible. Oh, it was amazing. Would you prefer that that warband be incredible and the army be, okay, it's not bad, but, you know, it's there's some cool models in there. There's some one where, you know, you love them or leave them kind of thing. Or would you prefer that the warband be real lukewarm kind of has you a little bit nervous about what the soul blight release is going to be and then have the army be really good oh yeah so i would pick this has nothing to do with the play style okay. it's all aesthetically yeah i think i would like the soul blight army to be something new mm-hmm. i would like to see new models new bats new whatever it's going to be i don't want to see a vampire lord on a zombie dragon i mean probably we're going to get that but i want to see a new zombie dragon and i want to see another vampire lord sure. that looks as cool as these guys did i would rather have the army aesthetically because if i played it i'm going to have a lot more of that on the table than i am these four models now if all i play is darkasm then those models but <laughs> that's not what i'm going to do so okay also staying in the in the preview section, mm-hmm. the witch hunter or the gravekeeper, which model would you prefer they, they built an army around? Oh, witch hunter. There's no doubt. Really? I am such a Matthias Thulman fan in his story. And so when I saw this, I've already said, I, that's him. That is the physical manifestation of this guy in the story. I would love to see what they do with that because of his backstory and what witch hunters, and there's a lot of books about witch hunters, but just what they are sure. makes me think it would be pretty cool. Okay. Uh, moving into the Emperor Lies section for us, would you rather be a plague marine, a noise marine, oh, please. a thousand sun, or a corn berserker? Not a thousand th- sun because all you are is you are nothing. Dust. You, you are you, you are, are the armor. You That's, are dust. Yeah, Nurgle just it just grosses me out. I mean, I think the models are fantastic and the argument is interesting. It just grosses me out. So it would be corn. Okay, I think it would be you, for sure. A, a maniac. Yeah, you know, just hunger yeah. for blood. Just you know what? That is your thing. You're just driven to do that. Okay. Yeah, that would be. My choice, if I had to choose between the four chaos gods. Okay. Uh, Then, in the getting good at Sigmar checklist, I am going to allow you to keep one tool. You know, aside from, like, your base, you know, like, your dice and your tape measure. And and the things I will say are fundamental to playing the game. And anything that is non-fundamental reverts to its normal state. What is the one tool slash gaming aid that you would keep? My tokens. Your tokens. I really need them. As well as I think I know my army now, I know it a lot better than I ever did. Mm. But I still need to mark those guys when they're plus one to wound. I need to mark those guys when they're re-rolling hits. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss something. Because I've got a fair amount. Of, I've got, what, 14 units in my army? Mm-hmm. And so I'm i got a lot of stuff. I need to mark the nine inches, you know, I need to have all that stuff working for my army to work. The tokens that I have are just critical for me. I think that's the one tool I would have to keep. Okay. All right. And then the last one in the scriptorium section. What scientist throughout history would you most like to speak to? And I use scientist as a loose term 
you know, because in a lot of cases before, you know, they were mathematicians and also artists, and they had a lot of these other roles. So those people also qualify. Now, I think a lot of people would say, I'd like to speak to Newton. It'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. I think Robert Faraday, just his philosophy of life, how he grew up, his what his modesty, even though he knew who he was and how important what he did was. I think I would like to read, meet uh, Robert Faraday. Hmm. Okay. He would be my favorite guy. So yeah. those are my five. Okay. So, Brendan, the first one is if you could meet two scientists. I'm gonna oh, you, darn no, it. No, I'm going to give you specifically two. Okay. All right. Would you rather, knowing what you know now at least, sure. rather meet Oppenheimer or Einstein? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think Einstein is more fundamental towards like the larger ideas. Oppenheimer, I think, ended up being more consequential in terms of his actions within the real world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people still build on uh, the ideas of of Einstein, and you know, you can say that the modern world exists because of him. But I would argue that the modern cultural state does not exist without Oppenheimer. In that, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that they talk about, I think it's in the preface of the autobiography, is first the power of the sun was used as a weapon, and then it was used as a political tool, and then it became the economy. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the influences on modern society. There is nothing more powerful than that. I think right now, obviously, some bias to the present items, but there's a reason that that's the first biography I wanted to to go mm-hmm. seek out. So sure. I'd rather meet Oppenheimer, and he can tell okay. me about Einstein. Yeah, probably, yeah, because <laughs> he's there. So you're going to teach a course mm-hmm. on either playing Sigmar as a whole okay, or playing Death Armies. So the two courses would be how to play Age of Sigmar and get good at it, yep. or how to play Death Armies and get good at them. Well, Death Armies is a disparate term. The a flesh eater court's army is very different from a legion army. But I'm talking is... about the Grand Alliance death because that's where you have lived for a very mm. long time. I think I would rather teach just Sigmar in general. Uh, because you can pull the specific instances of here's what these things look like and where the archetypes lie. When you're teaching the Grand Alliance within death, you are by and large skipping over an entire phase of the game in the Mm. shooting phase. The Bone Reapers have a shooting unit that is key to winning in a lot of cases, but that (laughs) teaches you very little about the shooting phase itself. I think I would prefer to teach it as a whole, and say, you know, like, here's how the shooting phase works and the things that you need to learn within that, target priority being first among them. Okay. Next question. Okay. You know a few things about the Roman civilization. I have learned some things, sure. Okay. Do you think Rome was better as a republic or an empire? Ooh. So far, my understanding is really once the society moved over to the empire Mm. stage it began its decline almost immediately you know obviously people brought it up and down but Mm. Mm -hmm. over the course of time schisms and the things like that when you were dealing with the republic like the whole goal was to avoid this monarchy scheme that had arisen you had packs of ambitious persons trying to shape things and the ambitions of others theoretically played against each other to keep it all moving in the right direction, that the outliers could never gain too much extreme power. I think that it was a society that benefited more as a republic, as you were not dealing with the uh, whims of a single 
in many cases, madman. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, literally. Yeah. Okay. The next one is you are going to go back in time and live during a four-year period. Okay. In America. Oh, all right. In America. Mm. You're going to live in America from 1914 to 1918. Okay. Or from 1941 to 1945. Oh, no. So you're going to live during World War One, or you're going to live in World War Two in America. Okay. And you're going to live in America. You're not going to serve. Okay. You're working in a factory or doing something here. I would rather live in America in 1941 through 1945. Because in 1918, the Spanish flu kicks in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. Hard pass on that one. Okay. I have already seen kind of what that looks like a little bit. (laughs) Okay. No, thank you. All right. The last one is a pretty profound question. Wow. Okay. All right. This is going to be existential. Cindy, I'm going to be a changed person after this question. That is what Dan has proposed here. Okay. So, for breakfast... Is it waffles or pancakes for Brendan? Ooh. It depends on my mood, but that's not a fair answer. No. (laughs) I would say more universally, it is pancakes, Mm. but I'm bad at making them, so Mm. I have to go out typically and get pancakes, which is, you know, of its own inconvenience, which is why, like, frozen waffles... Oh, they're so good. I have the magic recipe. Yeah, but they're Cindy, they're so much worse. (laughs) Like, frozen waffles keep a certain amount of quality from the frozen to the unfrozen Throw them in the toaster. Put them in the oven. Yep. Uh, That's a good way to do it, too. So the perfect way to eat them, just, I'm just saying, Mm -hmm. my thing, was Grandma Bears told me this, or taught me this growing up, was you take butter and melt the butter, but like almost brown the butter, and you pour that in the things on the waffle, and then you put powdered sugar on it. Hmm. It is like... And there's the no syrup? Way. No. No, that is the perfect way to eat waffles. Okay. But the, but the butter's got to be a little bit brown. Oh, man. I could eat a whole box of Eggos <laughs> if they made them like that. Well-made pancakes is the ultimate choice okay. uh, from my perspective. Perfect. All right. Well, that's five and five. That's it. All right. That's the episode. Let's move we on did it. and talk about what's coming up. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Okay, 67, next in line. Couple weeks, couple weeks. Uh, Probably a 40K episode. Yeah, absolutely. And we're thinking we're going to have uh, Bodfather Troy back. And I think what we're going to do, Brendan, is... And before you listeners all just run away and say, I'm not going to listen to the next episode. There are, as we've said before, there are a lot of closeted 40K players and heresy people listening to this show who play Sigmar. Or who are interested. And I think... Most of them are like me. Yeah. <laughs> where they're like, this is fine. I'll play this. This is cool. And they play the thing that they like. And, and that's kind of it. But what we want to do, Troy and I, is kind of give you guys a primer on what to listen to, recommend, and what to read. You know, obviously we prefer if you read, but most of the books that we're going to recommend are on audio. So if you are not a reader, then join in, you know, read, listen to the books. On average, I would say most of these books are like eight to 10 hours probably total. But we're going to talk about things like if you like or are interested in a specific Space Marine chapter, we're going to tell you the book that was one of the seminal moments in that chapter's life that defined who they were sure or we're going to go through characters that existed either in the heresy or in 40k and we're going to tell you a book 
that starts their series. And some of them have series of 10 or more books. Some only have a couple. So we're going to recommend that to you. We'll recommend some audio dramas, which are only like an hour long. So if you really just want to dip your foot in, listen to some of these. And these are the chapters or what these are interested and focused on. We'll talk about some of the major events, like what happened when Mars revolted, because it did in the heresy. There was a schism on Mars. The emperor's pet project, something happened. Hmm. You know, pulled him away from the crusade. What happened to that? And there's a book that talks specifically about that if you're interested. Because that, again, was a sea change in the story when that happened. So that's what we're hoping to do. And Troy and I'll kind of walk you through those things. If there anything as usual that has come up in the next couple of weeks that we know is coming out or we have more specific dates, we'll talk about all those in the show as well. But I think you're right, Brendan. We're going to do a 40K focus. It's been a while. We're going to do a 40K history podcast. And Brendan will be here, but it's actually going I'm to be... be so bored. No, actually, <laughs> Brendan, um, you may not be here, but mm. NPR Brendan will be back. Okay. Um, I was thinking I was just going to do the whole episode from the couch with Cindy, <laughs> where I just yell uh, my feelings. <laughs> that would I... be cool. You guys can sit there. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but See what NPR the show looks Brendan like from back. 10 feet to the right. If you <laughs> wish, we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's it, listeners. And thank you for joining us, as always. Thank you, Brendan, for making the trip. And we hope that you've enjoyed this and looking forward to the next thing, whatever it is, coming down the road. Everybody take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We will see you next time around. Bye. This is...